0: All right. Good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Romans 8. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for... Um, it was a windy day. I, I know there's a purpose for it, but it got a little old for me. But I'm sure it's, it's just blowing everything away that needs to get blown away. And we're getting ready for some new, new life this spring. And we're thankful for that. Um, so we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter 8, and as we go through this, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide. That's our heart. That's what we want. Um, We're doing chapter 8 tonight, um, and we're also learning it tonight and studying it tonight, but we're actually living it tonight. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to see it, to understand it, what it means to sow to the Spirit, what it means to walk in the Spirit, to choose the Spirit over the flesh, to make decisions um, that bear fruit in our lives later. We just uh, we just ask that you be our guide, in Jesus' name, amen. It is interesting, T- tonight, um, as we you've chosen here to come on a Wednesday night, and you, you could be doing a, many other things, um, I don't know if you, <laughs> baseball, I don't know what's going on right now, a, basketball's over, right, just got over last night or something like that, or Monday, and I don't keep track of that stuff, but... You could have been doing a lot of different things tonight, but you chose to sow to the Spirit tonight. You chose to bring your kids to get the Word of God sown into their hearts as well. And that's what chapter eight's about. It's making these decisions like this. Um, I think I get that question a lot as I, you know, we've gone over the progression of thought of chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Romans, where it starts off with chapter 6, God didn't save you to continue living the way you've always lived. Chapter seven being, yeah, but I want to do the things I want to do, but I don't do. And so how do I fix that? And that's what chapter eight kind of addresses. It's by the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit. The difference between seven and eight isn't a, a believer's life and uh and and an unbeliever's life. It's 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 more than that. Um and I'm doing my best. To, to bring this across tonight that as we go through this chapter 8 and we see that over and over again Paul will say the same things in many different ways that you've been set free from your sins these are words we use all the time and it's hard to make them have emphasis anymore but you you've been freed to now do the things that you'd like to do for God you've you've been awakened you've been resurrected your your spirit's alive and and communicating with God again for the first time ever in your life when you get born again. And then he comes and makes his dwelling place with you in you. I don't have to go to the public park is what I'm saying to look at stone marble 10 commandments anymore to figure out what I'm supposed to do. That's what Paul's trying to show here. You now have the Holy spirit Living in you, so when you stand before your choice, and I'm going to leave it at that, the Holy Spirit's telling you, yea or nay, run or or accept it or choose it. That's what God has done for us. When He resurrected us, when we chose Him, accepted him, believed on him for salvation, He indwells us now. We're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever I go, he goes. Whatever I do, he does. Whatever choice is before me or before my eyes or my ears or whatever it is that's in front of me, he's there with me. And he will always be faithful to lead and guide me in the right way, to lead me. And that's the key to chapter 8, if I'll be led. Because as much as I would love to tell you in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit will overpower you, will possess you, and cause you to walk an obedient life unto Christ, I can't say that. You can't make it say that. He is the one that's regenerating us from the inside out. But that starts with what we're doing here tonight. The word of God is the seed and it's being implanted in your hearts. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside and waters that and sunshine falls upon that and The more times you do that, the more often you do that, and the more you stay in that regular place of the the Lord ministering to you, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life, the more those things grow, the more those things bear fruit. I was going to do an object lesson, but I think just us sitting here tonight is the object lesson. But my plan was to do this, I thought, and I didn't do it. It was to have three pots here, you know, with soil in them and all. One of them doesn't have a seed in it. One of them has a seed, but it's neglected. The other one has a seed and it's being taken care of. The first one, not having a seed. You can't stare at that pot day after day hoping for fruit. I can't wait for those, whatever it is that you're growing. What is there? Tomatoes. I can't wait for tomatoes. If I haven't put a tomato seed in there, it's futile. It's futile. I'm I'm a foolish person. If I think that my pot full of soil without the seed... It's going to bear some kind of fruit in my life. It isn't. And if I'm not reading God's word, if I'm not, I'm not implanting God's word in my heart, if I'm not letting the seed of God's word get into my heart, I, I'm foolish to think that somehow or another I'm going to have a miraculously wonderful marriage. I'm going to raise biblical, lovely children where I'm going to be a nice person to be around. If I don't plant his word that the Holy Spirit can work with, can water, can bring sunshine, can bring I don't know what I'm expecting to take place. Verse 1. Finishing the thought from last week, let's go back one verse. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I want to be careful about this verse 1 that we don't think that's step 1 and step 2. It's not. A lot of people that read it as, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and then we qualify it with, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I lose at that point instantly. Instantly because sometimes I walk in the flesh and sometimes I walk in the spirit. So then therefore there is some condemnation for me when I'm walking in the flesh and there isn't condemnation when I'm walking in the spirit. If we read it like that and many people do, and they try to explain it away saying, well, that second part, and it's even in your center column reference, that second part of verse one shouldn't be there. That's really just a clerical error because he says the same thing again later on. And that's where it's supposed to be. Not here. Let me read it to you. I think the way God intended it, I think it's supposed to be there. It's the same thing. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the same thing. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're not walking according to flesh. You're walking according to the Spirit. You're walking in the newness of life. You've been resurrected. You're born again. You are walking in the Spirit. You fail at times. Sometimes you do fleshy things. You're a carnal Christian. You're a carnal born-again person. Can't expect any fruit from that moment, but It doesn't mean that there's condemnation waiting for you there. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There can't be. Doctrinally, biblically, uh, there cannot be. If there is, if there is condemnation, then we're all hopelessly lost, regardless of our salvation status. There is no condemnation. When I stand before God, when you stand before God as a born-again believer, trusting in the work of the cross only, not on my performance each and every day, whether it was good or good or bad. There is no condemnation. No one is condemning you. The moment that Jesus came to earth, he did not come to condemn the world, but through the world or through him, might be, the world might be saved, right? We know that from Scripture if you've studied it all. John 3 is a wonderful study. Spend time in that chapter. Spend a lot of time in chapter 3. explains a lot. So, when he meets this woman who's been caught in adultery, and his, her accusers are all around her with rocks and ready to stone her, and they ask him, Should we stone her? You know, that the law says we should. What do you say? And he says, He who is without sin casts the first stone, and they all drop their stones and they walk away, and despite of whatever he's writing in the ground, makes no difference. But the questions that he asks her following that are very important. Where are those accusers? I don't have any, Lord. And what he says next is very important. Neither do I condemn you. He doesn't say, neither do I accuse you. Neither do I condemn you. The the, the true and living God, Christ, God come in the flesh, says to this woman, before the cross, before the resurrection, I don't condemn you. That's a big deal. That's some doctrinal stuff we got to get our minds around. I don't condemn you. I didn't come to condemn. I came to save you. I understand your weakness. I know that you're dust. I know that you can't make yourself right before me. That's what I'm here to do. There is no condemnation. So we have to make a very clear distinction here between salvation and walking in obedient life. Your salvation is secure in Christ Jesus and your belief in him and your trust in him, it's secure, it's set, it's stable. It's not waffling and, 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 and changing moment by moment depending upon your obedience. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the too good to be true portion of the gospel. That's why it's so good. This is great news. This is why they would run and preach the gospel as loud as they could from the mountaintop. We need to go tell it on the mountains because this is unbelievable. There's no condemnation. And once I have that settled in my heart and the joy of that news penetrates me and and, and continues to permeate my life, obedience kind of well, I lost my opinion, follows. Because I love him and because he loved me first, it begins to change me. It begins to come become natural to me. And the indwelling of his Holy Spirit begins to work out of me. From the inside, he begins to Change every aspect of my life. You ever have a buddy in high school? I'm going to talk to the guys here for a minute. Maybe you've got some gals. I don't know. You gals. And they were great when they didn't have girlfriends, you know. <laughs> and we did everything together. We had all this time. But then they got a girlfriend. What happened? It totally changed, man. They're like, you're totally different. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go that. And like, why are you wearing a... A pink button down. Who bought you that? You know? She says, I look good in it. You know? Then we razz him a little bit about it and give him a hard time. And inside we're all going, I wish I had a girlfriend. You know? Something changes. Something takes place in a person's life when they're in a, a relationship that means something to them. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is supposed to be like that. And our friends look around and say, what is different about you? What's changed about you? Why are you... Why are you carrying a Bible? Well, he says it's his word. He says it's his seed. And the more I read it and the more I spend time with him and uh, I get changed and transformed. How come you don't do the things you used to do? I don't know. I just don't desire those things anymore. They're just not, I'm not that kind of person. I'm different. You know, you try to explain it to him. And of course that builds up a thirst in them or a desire for what you have. I want what you have. I want that. I make fun of it at first. Then when my life gets hard, they come up to you and they say, hey, what is it that you have? Can you tell me about this good news? Can you introduce me to this person? That's what all the disciples ever did. Probably a lot of them illiterate. They didn't have these things, but they knew this, they ran into Jesus, they encountered him, they were absolutely different and they go and find all their buddies and say, you've got to meet this guy. Come meet the man, you know, even the woman at the well, come meet the man that knew everything about me, you know. That's all they could do. That relationship changes. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I love those words. I don't like the word law until you read this verse. Now I like the word law. A law is rigid, a law is unwavering, It's, it's good, but it's a law, I mean, it's a law, you know. But when he says that there's a law of the spirit of life, it's just as rigid, it's just as firm, it's just as resolute as any other law. And if it supersedes that other, if it sets me free from that I can I can count on it as much as I can count on my sin condemning me. I can count on the law. This new law, this third law, this wonderful law of the spirit of life. It's as, it's as hardcore as the others and it wins. I trust in that. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. Nothing wrong with the law, but the problem is the law says you in the flesh need to obey the law and that's where we fail. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of the sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So I'm not condemned. He condemned sin. It's exciting. Paul's doing his best, but he's he's definitely driving the point home. It is done. It is finished. It is dead. It is in the grave. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's that second place that it's written where some scholars say that's the only place it should be written. No, it's the same thing. He's just driving the point home who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He's not saying when you're obedient versus when you're not, that's not what he's saying. In in Christ Jesus, I am now indwelled with the Holy spirit. I walk in the spirit. I do fleshy things sometimes, but that. the, the that isn't what defines me anymore. Before Christ, um, I sinned because I was a sinner. I didn't become a sinner because I sinned. I sinned because I was a sinner. It was part of me, it was who I was. That's dead now. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Now I'm this new creation in Christ. I'm walking in the spirit. I'm indwelling. I'm, I, he's indwelling me. I, when I do right things, I'm excited. You know, We're all excited when we finally obey. That's the truth. That's what we hold on to. That's our hope. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We know that we can only please God by, by faith. We can only please God by a worship God because he's spirit and spirit and truth. That's the only way we can do these things. Paul just acknowledges the fact that there's that war that goes on in us. And when we set our minds on fleshy things, when I have my pot here and I begin to sow weeds into it, someone who, who truly desires a, a a beautiful tomato plant with lots of fruit in it doesn't doesn't waste any of the energy any of the time ruining that goal that desire that 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 hope of this fruit we have choices to make there there's no way around this i have people sit <laughs> this is no, I, don't. I, I do the same thing. I'm not saying these dumb people. No, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the same person. Teaching this is so important and get this in our heads. And it's also very real and very disappointing in some ways. And here's why. Because I, 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 as I'm ministering to people or trying to help people, they're like, here's what I want to do. And I just, I just can't make myself do it. I don't know what you want me to do for you. What can I do for you? Well, I, I mean, I guess I want you to answer that question. What, what is it that you've come to me for? I want this. I want this, and I don't know what this is. Let's say, I, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good example. I want to stop cussing. I don't want to swear anymore. I'm taking a really easy one here, or, a, or one that's not as severe as some of the other ones I could have chosen. I really want to stop swearing. What do I need to do? Well, you got to stop swearing. I know. It's what I want. But how? All I can tell you is God has given you the freedom to choose not to swear or to swear. You're not obligated to do that anymore. You have a choice. No matter how much I'd love to say that chapter 8 tells us that God takes away our choice and now he lives the life we should live for us, he doesn't. Every single day I make a decision whether I'm going to follow Christ or not, whether I'm going to obey him, whether I'm going to plant his word in my heart, whether I'm going to be led by the Spirit. I guarantee you the Spirit will not make you comfortable swearing. He will make you uncomfortable in all of those sins, whatever they may be. But you have a choice to make. The Spirit will be faithful to be a witness to you and say, no, don't do that. And you can either push through that wonderful warning that he's given you and say, forget it. I'm going to do my own thing, or you can obey that and be led by that that still small voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. There is no way around that. How do I pray for someone that doesn't want to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? I get that all the time too. I've got a relative that I desperately want to know Jesus, and What's beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time is this beautiful saint who wants so desperately for this lost loved one to know Jesus Christ, wants to know if there's different words they can use. It breaks my heart. There isn't. You're not doing it wrong. You're not praying wrong. The person has a will. They have a will like Jesus had, a will in the garden. Every one of us has a will, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Whether we ask him to take take my will away and let it be your will, we say that all the time. And yet he still says, here's the choice. But in the garden, he had a choice. You can take this cup and drink it, or you don't have to go to the cross. He could have ran. He could have taken off to Egypt. He could have hid. I mean, I don't know how that would have worked. Jonah tried to do the same thing, and that didn't work. But instead, Jesus got on his knees and said, "Is there another way? Is there another way? If there's another way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done." Jesus had to live the life that we lived in the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit to go to the cross, and he did it. How do you stop cussing? You stop cussing. How do you stop drinking? You stop drinking. I can't help myself. You can't help yourself. You jump into a car, you turn the ignition on, you drive to the place, you get out your wallet, you pay the guy, you pick out your choice, you bring it home and you pop the cork and you or whatever it is that you do and you guzzle it. That was all none of you. How many times did the Holy Spirit scream in your ear? Stop, turn around, don't go, park, find a friend, call a friend, do something other anything else. How many times? Did the Holy Spirit give you warning after warning after warning? I guarantee you, there must have been 10 or 12 warnings on the way there and on the way back before that cork, before that liquid hit your throat and any other drug out there. You've been set free. It's a choice. It may be a hard choice. Your flesh may be screaming at the top of its lungs Feed me. Feed me. Disobey that spirit. Don't be that. It's whoever's louder, but you're responsible. I'm responsible. I have a decision to make. Do I follow the leading of the Holy Spirit or do I I follow my flesh? It's always ruled in my life. We have a throne of our hearts and God says, I want to sit on that throne. I have to choose to let the Holy Spirit sit on that throne to let God sit on the throne. And it it is him that I obey. I do not obey the rest. I obey him. We have to do that. Now, how does that happen? I tell you, it gets easier. It isn't done for you, but it gets easier the more you sow to the Spirit and starve the flesh. Guarantee it. I know it. I don't check my life daily. I think if I did, I wouldn't be standing here. I check my life maybe every two or three years. Where am I at? Well, my mom would say, as an English teacher, don't end your sentence in a preposition, right there, like I did. i still hear her. <laughs> I still don't know how not to do that, but okay. <laughs> I check my life. Where am I? Where am I? All right, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Where am I? And I look at the fruit. And I look at my condition. I look at where... I find myself, you know, make some course corrections, make some adjustments, make some changes. But I also look at the fact that, you know, I don't know where, but somewhere along these last three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years of walking with the Lord, 30 years walking with the Lord, I don't do those things anymore that I used to do. Things I prayed about and asked God to take away from me. He didn't take them away from me immediately. But all of a sudden I find myself at the age of 52, not doing 60% of the things Hmm, there's some other things that I won't talk about today. I'm talking about my victories, not my failures. I don't know where that happened. I don't know how that happened. I mean, I do. The Holy Spirit's been working in me, and as I sow to the Spirit, and I reject the flesh, and I obey the Spirit, and I'm led by the Spirit, things change. God chooses and... Makes wonderful, he makes choices for me in the sense that I I want you to do this. I don't want you. And then also, he brings up choices that I didn't even know I had before me. Not something I put in front of my face, but something he puts in front of my face. New things that stretch me, you know. Stretching is very important of your growth. Very important. And they hurt. Oh, my girl. We've got pictures of Evangeline because she's an ice skater or was. Well, still is, but, you know, coaches now and doesn't necessarily compete. We had this picture of her headstand, right? With her legs like this, reading her textbook for homeschooling like that. And there she is like this. And she would do that. And every time I'd look at her, she'd always be, she'd be reading her book and this, I can't do it, but there's, and she'd be like this, what her leg would be up here, you know, and she's just doing this reading and doing it always, always, always. Now, when I try to do that, you know, And every softball player in any league knows that if you don't stretch as an old man and you take off after that first bat and you take off toward first, that's when the quad hits, you know, whatever it is behind, right here. It never heals, right? Stretching. Stretching physically is important, obviously, but spiritually, God stretches us, puts us in different situations that are very uncomfortable for us, way out of what we normally do. But if he brings that choice to me and I obey that choice, I have to trust that he never gives me more than I can bear. Never. Yeah, it may hurt, but he never gives me more than I can bear. And so if I take that and say, if this is what you want me to do, this is what I'm going to do. And I get myself stretched out and I struggle through it maybe, but it's not the same. It's easier the next time. Anyway, spiritually speaking, God stretches us. It's all part of it. So we're supposed to put to death these things. In our minds, we're supposed to pull every thought captive. We're supposed to recognize now that there are two voices, that there's a war going on, and I've chosen to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide my life. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. I say that because that verse 9 helps us understand that verse 1 that I tried to explain earlier. Paul here, writing to the Romans, are, is under the assumption, those that are reading this, you're saved. And so therefore, you are walking in the Spirit. Now, you may not be successful all the time, but you're in the Spirit. You're not in the flesh like you were before. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So If you don't have that, then you're probably not born again and you're not saved. Make no mistake about it. Don't leave here today or tonight without Jesus Christ in your heart. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He'll do it. What Paul's trying to say there is that's a pretty powerful thing. The most powerful thing we read in scripture is that christ rose from the dead people don't do that it's impossible when someone is buried no matter how much you want it they don't get back up unless something supernatural the god of the universe intervenes because this to death is just what happens for that not to take place is something that god has to suspend certain laws certain rules and only he can do that so when he says The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, creator of the universe, suspended rules, laws, all that, brought him back from the dead, is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in us. That same kind of power is in us. It's incredible. It's an incredible amount of power. If we let him. That's part of it. That's that's chapter 8. You've got to let him do that. A lot of people have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. and He's in the back room or he's in the bottom of your big toe. Yeah, he's there, but it doesn't look like it and you don't act like it and you don't walk like that. Of course, you're saved, but barely, not that that's a thing, but barely. God's saying, let him have access. Give him your life. Submit every area of your life over to him. When he says, and, it's, and it, it can be that crazy, I don't want you to leave the house tonight. I want you to stay home and I want you to open the word. Do not turn that television on tonight. I always turn the TV on tonight. And it's a good show. It's just, I'm just watching a baseball game. What's the big deal? That's how we argue. We do that. I've, no, I've evaluated the situation, God. and I mean, we don't say this out loud, but I've evaluated the situation, God. I think you're wrong. Well, he's not king anymore. He's not Lord. I don't know why you can't watch that baseball game tonight, but tonight you don't watch the baseball game. I need you to focus here. I need you to do this. This is what I'm asking you to do tonight. I want you to deny your flesh, what you wanted to do, what you expected to do, your schedule, and I want you to do this. And all we have to say is, okay. Yes, sir. You bet. Absolutely. I don't have to know why. You just have to do it. I'd love to give you a story I've and seeing if you had watched the game. This is what would happen. And you watched that commercial and it would have led to this. I don't know what it is. It doesn't have to be anything. It just has to be that the Holy Spirit put it on your heart. Although it's completely legal, it's completely fine. It's not sin at all. It's acceptable relaxation. May not be anything at all. He said, don't do it. You know what happens when I disobey that leading of the Holy Spirit? for that one thing that's no big deal, it becomes sin. It becomes sin. I'm in rebellion against what God is leading me to do. It becomes sin. Of course, baseball games on TV aren't sin. We don't have that enumerated, and that's that's the point. Can you imagine how big this book would be if he had to name everything that he thought was bad versus everything he thought was okay? The room would be full because we'd have to cover So much technology all the way from, you know, 33 AD to to 2022 and all the technical, you know, technological advances. I got to slow down. No, I'm going to make it really simple. It's not a big book. It's not a volume. It's not a library of do's and don'ts. I'm just going to give you my spirit. He's going to indwell you. He's going to lead you each and every day. He's going to say, this is okay, and this isn't okay. I'd rather you not do that. I want you to do this. I don't know that he's that polite. Sometimes he is. And all you have to do is just let him lead and guide you because he is guiding you through a labyrinth and a maze full of traps, pitfalls, snares, things that Satan lays out for all of us. He wants to destroy our walk with Jesus. He wants to cause us to fall. And he knows he can't just dangle the big sin in front of you. He's got to work your way into that. He's got to ease you. And anybody knows that. I got a feral cat, another one in our barn. I'm working on him. I'm working on him like Satan works on us. Starts off with a soothing voice, talking calm. Now, my intentions are good. Satan's aren't. I'm gentle. I'm an angel of light. I'm wooing him with my voice. I talk to him. I can see him. He's four hay bales back and all I can see are his ears and his two eyes. And he's looking at me. Cutest little cat. Can't wait to get my hands on him and hold him and pet him and all that. I'm a softie. I love him. Love these animals. Love them. And I'm watching him. I'm just talking. I say, you hungry? You just talk. Saying stupid. You know, anybody walks in to think I was insane. I'm talking to him and all that. Well, there's going to come a point in time where I might put out a live trap, you know, in order to get, cause, cause, cause this isn't going to work and i have only got so much patience and I know we need to speed this process up cause I'm not spending every night out here talking to you, you know? So I might get a live trap, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that live trap in there. I'm going to talk to him while I'm setting it up. He's going to watch me. He's got his little eyes. Watch me. He's going to sit. I'm going to put some food in there. That's really good. Then I'm going to set it and camouflage it so it doesn't look so scary and metal and all that. And then I'm gonna walk away and the next morning he is caught. And now I'll work on him, and I'm the good guy. I'm not, I don't have horns, you know. Satan knows he can't just jump at you. He can't just, you know, surprise, you know, kind of thing. He works his way into our lives. He he, he leads and guides us towards things that, well, that's no big deal. And that's no big deal. Well, that's a little questionable, but no big deal. And that's a lot questionable. And pretty soon we find ourselves, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did I get in this trap? How did I get caught? How did I find myself in a position where I'm under as a control and authority? You know, it is a, Deadly walk that we live and walk. It's You need to be led by the Spirit. Satan hasn't given up on any of us. Even though we're born-again believers, he hasn't quit. He hasn't stopped doing what he did with us before we were saved. He's still there. He's just working different angles now. And that's why we get caught in things we shouldn't be doing, it's thinking things we shouldn't be thinking, saying things we wouldn't normally say. It starts off that way. Ever been in a conversation with somebody that starts off great and all of a sudden it takes a turn and all of a sudden we're talking about somebody that isn't there and you can feel that Holy Spirit saying, stop, don't, quit, run away. You either do or you don't. It's very dangerous, very subtle. Run from those moments. And then they'll think I'm weird. It's better than sin. It's better than sin. Walk out. Walk away. Turn away from it. Nope. Find a different place. Well, how come they get up and leave? They can continue the conversation if they want to. You're not going to be a part of it. Well, they won't include me. Yeah, they won't include you in... Any of them anymore, will they? Well, that's an easy target. There's lots of things that we get surprised by and have to make quick decisions, but again, faithfully, the Holy Spirit will be a witness to us and say, Stop. Don't go any further. Run from this. Therefore, brethren, because of everything I've said, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We owe God. Not to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything to live according to the flesh. Not at all. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Underline that. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I know we call ourselves the family of God, but I think when we say that we look at each other. That is true. I mean, you're all my brothers and sisters in the Lord. But I have to also remember, I'm a part of the family of God. Like, he's my dad. I don't know how many of you are with me at the table, but it doesn't matter whether anybody in this room is at the table with me. I'm with my father. I'm with my dad. I don't ever call him father. I call him dad. I have that kind of relationship with him. God wants that kind of relationship with us. He wants us to be that informal with him, that comfortable around him, that we call him dad. Sometimes our prayers, because we don't know. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, thou art in heaven. And true statements and part of Jesus's prayer. I don't mean to make light of it. That's just not how I pray to him when I'm by myself. When I'm by myself, it's way more informal than that. It's very simple. Sometimes it's just groanings, which you're going to read about here in, in a minute. But the Holy Spirit bears witness inside of us. He's the one crying out. The reason I feel so close to God, the reason I call him dad, the reason I pray to him with such an informal way is because that's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's very comfortable around him. You know, I don't think we'll ever get our minds around the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit's very comfortable, comfortable around the Father. And when he cries out to him, it's him crying out to him. I mean, it's very natural. When you have that in your heart, just know that that's confirmation if you needed it. If you needed any confirmation about your salvation, that one desire that you just talk to him that way and that you just, you, you instantly go to him in your mind when you have a problem or when you're thinking something and, Oh, I don't know, God, what do you think? It doesn't matter where you are, what that instant desire. That's the Holy spirit in you saying, yep. Talk to the one who knows. It's just confirmation for you. If he needed it, that you're his, that you're a child. Maybe you're a really naughty kid, but you're still his kid. Maybe you're a really obedient kid, but you're still his kid. We need to know that. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Glorified. I get this idea that I'm gonna be a plumber in heaven or some kind of some kind of scrub, you know. <laughs> I'll wear a janitor suit my entire life up there, but that's okay. At least I'm there. That's kind of how I think. It's it's not true. We're glorified with the sun when we get up there, alongside of him. It doesn't make sense to us because we know who we are, but when God speaks of us, that's how perfect our salvation is. We're also going to be glorified together. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's going to happen. Glory is going to be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's a big word saying, I mean, it's a lot just saying that when Adam sinned, he blew it for everything. Everything felt the sting of death, all of creation. The horses are looking at Adam saying, what are you doing eating the fruit? I got to pay for your mistake. You know, all creation groans waiting for this moment when we're glorified with the Father because they get fixed too. Everything around us, the whole creation gets fixed. And then eventually it's all new. It was subjected. It was forced. We're all under the bondage of death. But until that comes, we groan. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. I mean, it's seen for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope, for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Perseverance. You ever groan within yourself? I do it all the time now. And I'm not talking about getting up off the couch. I'm not talking about that kind of groaning. I do that too. I have to rock myself. But if I lay on my back on the couch, I have to kind of get a <clears throat> thing going now. Not a good thing. No, I groan sometimes because I don't know how to pray. Um, someone's going through something, you know? And as a pastor, you're like, well, I want to pray for him. And I do. I generally pray just for, you know, hey, if they want this, if this is what they want, I pray God, help them get out of this trial, help them get over this thing, get out of this. But honestly, I don't know if it was, it could be by you too. Maybe you're trying to work something out. Cause I know that some of the trials that I've gone through in my life, if he'd have got me out of them any sooner, I wouldn't have learned my lesson. And so therefore I, Needed to go through the whole thing, you know, to to conclusions so that I I got it and I was better on the other side. It stretched me. It made me into who he needed me to be, you know. I think everybody's got that. We all understand that. And so then instead of praying maybe specifically with a situation, you just kind of just, oh, Lord, you know, I don't know. Oh, Lord. It's all you can say. You kind of groan. I groan about. A lot of things. I groaned a lot today. I don't know why. Just did. Not complaining. Not a complaining groan. Don't don't misunderstand me. Just a oh man. I, I groaned over chapter eight. I really did. Seems like a a home run. Easy. It wasn't. It wasn't. You know. It's a, it's a it's a very clear chapter, and yet when you when you're reading it, you just I groaned my way through the entire thing. It is. It's deep, David. You're right. It's deep. There's so much here. And so that's the spirit. And so, ironically, what I groaned over in chapter 8, talking about the spirit groaning within me, I was groaning while I was studying. So it was happening. Chapter 8 was happening. I was living it today. And you're living it now. And so, what we don't understand about chapter 8, please know this you're living it tonight. This is it. The feelings you're having, the thoughts that you're having, the things that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind right now, the the challenging that you're getting, the encouragement that you're getting, oh, that's the Holy Spirit in you crying out, helping you. This is it. You're sowing to the Spirit. The flesh is like, ah. Now some of you, your flesh is screaming right now. (laughs) What a leave so bad, you know. Well, you're learning that too. How do I keep this thing... How do I tell my flesh to shut up? How do I get it to quit? You know? Because right now, I want to be anywhere but here. You know? I don't know. This is an opportunity. I'll spend the next 20 minutes just staring at you and let you work on that, you know, kind of thing. It does take perseverance. It does take deliberate decision-making on your part. You recognize it's right before me. My flesh is telling me this. The Spirit's telling me this. I have to make a choice. I'm going to do what the Spirit... Is leading me to do right now. Very important. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Thank goodness. For we do not know how we should pray, but for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Between my mouth to God's ears, may the Holy Spirit change my prayer to be in accordance with God's will. I'll pray. I'll pray appropriately. I'll pray for people. I pray God's will be done. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Not all things are good he will work all things out for good. He will. I know that from past I don't know that going through it at the time I'd never I don't know, sometimes I understand it and I'm I'm aware that the work is being done other times it's just this really bizarre inconvenience that's popped into my life and I wonder why this is happening and I didn't complain about it for a couple days and then when it's all over I realize oh you that was you you know I don't always get it I don't always recognize it I do know this, God always works it out for good. I'm either better, smarter, closer, rebuked, exhorted, encouraged. It, he does what he needs to do. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Those are all past tense. Every one of those words is past tense. Are you glorified? I'm not, but not in his eyes. In his eyes, I am. I suppose this is that out of time thing. You know, you're out. Of, you're, you're, he's outside of time, kind of thing, but. This helps us understand what he means by predestined because he says he foreknew and then he predestined. They, they all, they're all in order. He sees everything as... He sees us in heaven right now. He sees us as glorified. He sees us in that place. not like, I think someday they're going to be... No, it's, it's happened as far as he's concerned. As far as we're concerned, we're still waiting. We wouldn't use the past tense here. He does. He says that those he foreknew... Which is always, he always knows. He also predestined, chose us, conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among married brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he called. He called, he justified, he justified, he glorified. All past tense as far as God's concerned. I'm wondering if I'm going to be glorified. He's saying, No, it's done. What then shall we say to these things? I don't know, Paul. <laughs> Read it again to me, Paul. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, I know a lot of people that can be against us. I know Satan's against me. I know people can be against me, right? I mean, we're not ignorant of that fact that we've got enemies and we've got friends. We know that our, we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're always trying to kill us. So who can be against us? What he means is who can be against us successfully? Nobody. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, Satan does. He's the accuser of the brethren. What are you talking about, Paul? He can make those accusations, but none of them stick. It is God who justifies. Can you imagine how frustrating that is for Satan? Ha ha, Sam sinned. You said in the front row again, Sam sinned, you know, totally blew his witness at work. Ha 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 stands before God, the father. You see this guy, Sam, who says he's your son and you say he's his, he's a believer. Well, look what he did. The father says, okay, I, I take that charge. I understand Jesus, Sam's defense attorney. What do you say? I paid for that sin. Okay. Charges are dropped. How frustrating for Satan. Every time he brings up an accusation against a believer, it's a father-son thing up there, you know? Who can make an accusation against God's elect? Nobody, because it's God's the one who justifies. He's not only the judge, but he's the justifier. Who is he who condemns? Who is he who condemns? Nobody. That's why Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Paul is desperately trying to make sure they understand he's driving home the point. You're so saved. You can't be saved any more than you're saved. You're so saved. You're so locked in. You're so loved. You're so a part of the family. You're so adopted. Nobody can take you away from him. Nobody can remove you from him. There is no secret problem that's going to arise that can't be and hasn't been taken care of by the cross. It's good news. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, in case we miss something, Paul throws that in there, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A very strong promise. And we need him, don't we? Because we'll even read that tonight and tomorrow go, I don't know if I'm saved. You know, listen to the tape again. They don't make tapes anymore, but you know, read eight again, read it again slowly. Nothing can separate me. I wonder if anything can separate me. No. Oh, you're so saved. You're like super duper saved. If that helps. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. I know as a father of children that I want my kids to desperately know how much I love them, how much I'm for them, how the things that I do for them are for their benefit, that their best interests are always at heart, always in my heart. How much more then are your interests for us? How much for us? You can't be any more for us than you already are. I'm so thankful you're for us. Help us to rest in that, Lord, tonight, to be comforted by that tonight, to have that peace that surpasses understanding tonight. Help us to be led by the Spirit, to know that every time your Holy Spirit leads us in a direction or says no or says yes, that is the absolute best for us. And It's a life worth living, Lord. Help us to just absolutely, completely agree with you as you lead us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Went a little long. Thank you guys for being patient.